Hey everyone, before we begin, I'd like to ask you pretty please to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, The Berman Hour Podcast. Go ahead and rate us five stars, write us a nice review, and then hit that subscribe button. No matter where you're listening, whatever platform, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever it is, hit that subscribe button. It's super helpful. Thanks so much. Let's get it. to the Berman Hour Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Berman. Thank you so much for tuning in. My guest this week is Adam Gagola, otherwise known as Blind Adam and the Federal League. Blind Adam and the Federal League have a brand new record out now on AF Records called An Act of Desperation, and it is fantastic. I highly, highly recommend this record. I am a big fan of of Adam's songwriting. I'm a big fan of Adam. I'm a big fan of his hometown, Chicago, Illinois. We get into a lot of Chicago talk. We talk about the Cubbies. We talk about his namesake, and we talk about his vision, or lack thereof. I really want to thank Adam for opening up. You know, I try to keep that as a common thread throughout all of my conversations that happen here on the Berman Hour podcast. It's not just fluff. It's not just about the record. I like getting to know these people better in a candid way and people have been opening up which is really great so I I really want to thank Adam for uh, being brave enough to open up and and talk about this stuff and it's really awesome so I hope that you all get something out of this great conversation as well before we get to the conversation between myself and Adam from Blind Adam and the Federal League a couple of housekeeping things to take care of first we wouldn't be here if we didn't have the continued support from our sponsors. New Wave Flow State Coffee. Coffee for creativity. Now, if you go to newwave.co slash Berman, that's N-O-O-W-A-V-E dot C-O slash B-E-R-M-A-N, and you order their coffee, which is guaranteed to become your new favorite coffee, you're going to save 10%. Here's what else is going to happen. They're going to appreciate your sale very much, so much so that they're going to kick back a little bit of that dough to us here at the Berman Hour podcast to cover some of the production costs, the server costs, all that other stuff. In addition, you are going to feel fucking fantastic because that is the point of New Wave's Flow State Coffee. It is coffee that is blended with raw cacao and L-theanine. L-theanine is an amino acid that naturally reduces stress and anxiety. So if you are a coffee drinker, or you're a timid coffee drinker, rather, and you don't like the negative side effects that you get from coffee and caffeine sometimes, like the shakes and the headaches, and then the withdrawal, and all that shit, the increased heart rate, yeah, I don't like that either. I am super caffeine sensitive, and that's why I love this coffee so much. It keeps me focused, and it doesn't have the negative side effects. It is the perfect caffeine buzz for a caffeine wuss like myself. So go to newwave.co slash Berman, get yourself 10% off. It helps them, it's going to help you, and it's going to help the podcast. Capiche? Also, I got to say, I'm doing another podcast. It's all about professional wrestling. We talk about the current product. We also talk about Heels, the new television drama series on the Stars Network, starring Stephen Amell and Alexander Ludwig. We're having a great time. We just found out that Stephen Amell was listening to the podcast 
and he reached out to us, and now my co-host Bradley Palermo and I are shitting our pants because in the new episode that he hasn't heard yet, I just talk shit about him constantly. So <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to address that, but hear it. Find us at All The Heels Podcast. Again, All The Heels Podcast. Anywhere you find podcasts, All The Heels Podcast. I can't thank you enough for your support for here of the Berman Hour, but if you want to make it go a little further, All The Heels Podcast. Let's get it. All right, enjoy my conversation with Adam from Blind Adam and the Federal League. Let's get it. Send me home and we're like, ah, maybe the world is ending, I guess. See you later. See you on the other <laughs> side. Sure. Yeah. But how are you doing, man? It's good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. I'm doing all right. Um, I just got a new job and uh, our record's coming out in a couple of days, so things are looking pretty good overall. How are you? I'm good, man. That's right. Yeah, the record comes out the 10th, Friday the yeah. 10th. This podcast will drop uh next week a few days after the record comes out the record's called an act of desperation and well we'll get into the record but i kind of want to dig a little bit into some background if that's copacetic by you yeah absolutely so are you born and raised in chicago yeah kind of uh just outside of chicago a small town called hometown illinois i was one block south of the city limits at like 87th and pulaski and then when I was in about third grade, my family moved out to Joliet, which is like a suburb about 35 yeah. miles southwest. For sure. yeah. But you've been in the Chicago land area pretty much your whole life, or have you lived anywhere else? Uh, I went to school at Illinois State University, which is like uh, in the middle of the state in Bloomington Normal. I don't know if you maybe played at Night Shop in Bloomington. Or, no, uh, I, I did play a pizza place in Normal. Firehouse. Yeah. 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 My old band, the Night Brigade, played there a few times. But yeah, I lived down there for about four and a half years and I've never really lived anywhere else long term. I've bopped around the country playing music in different punk rock bands, but uh, this has always been home really. And not a bad place to call home. What is it about Chicago that's so special? Oh man, that's, that is a, <laughs> a hard a question, question to answer with a, a, with few words. Chicago is almost like a character itself. I feel like, you know, my dad is basically a Chicago bears super fan. Like the people that were making fun of on Saturday night live. Yeah. You know, he's got the mustache and <laughs> likes eating pizza and Italian beef and drinking old style beer and um, always a huge Bears fan. And um, my parents were both just like like South Side working class, like rock and roll kind of people. And nice. some people want to leave and go somewhere warmer and get away from the weather. But I, th- I feel like a lot of people have ingrained in them, even if they do leave too. like Chicago is always a part of you. And um, I feel like out of the major cities in this country, no one really comes to Chicago because they want to be famous. There's a ton of great music here of all different genres. And, you know, there's some pretty big uh, successful musicians, but it's not like, you know, people don't say, I'm going to start, I'm going to move to Chicago and start a band so that I can be, you know, whatever. I don't even know what it's not MTV anymore. Yeah, it's not cut from the same cloth as New York City or Los Angeles where people are going there, destination driven and goal oriented to become... Superstars. Yeah, people are here because they want to be, I think. Yeah. Um, and then whatever else you do, it's kind of secondary. So Chicago's in your blood. I'd say so, yeah. Through and through. Yeah, a little high yeah. cholesterol. <laughs> You've got Polish <laughs> sausage just lodged there in your heart. <laughs> right, exactly. 
Oh, that's funny. I, you know, when we met, I think it was the fall of 2019. I want to say we met before that, but the first time we played together was the fall of 2019. We played at the Gingerman. And, yeah. Um, we had uh, my friend Paul uh, on tour with us who's just – he actually lives in Evanston now. He didn't at the time, but he's just a, a really gregarious fellow. And after the show, he's like, so that band Blind Adam and the Federal League were really good. And I was like, yeah, they were very good, very good band. And he's like, so I think that Adam is actually blind. And I was like, oh, really? I just thought it was a, a namesake gimmick or something. But, but do you <laughs> mind going into detail? Like, are you legally blind or are you kind of catch-as-catch-can blind? Or how, do, how does that work? I was diagnosed with a rare optic nerve disease in 2008 called Weber's Hereditary Optic Neuropathy. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, it was wild. Um, I was actually playing baseball. Um, at, uh, it was like a almost like DIY baseball league. I started the club team at Illinois State University. Sweet. And, uh, yeah, it was fun. And I started noticing, like, a small blind spot in the center of my vision in my right eye, like, early spring semester in 2008. I was actually on my way from Illinois State up to Chicago to see the Bouncing Souls play. It was at um, at Reggie's, uh -huh. and Gaslight Anthem was opening for them at the time in in a small like four hundred cap venue. And uh, I remember those days; they didn't last very <laughs> long, but I remember them. Yeah, yeah it was before Fifty Nine Sound came out, but yeah, after yeah. Sink or Swim, you know. So it was about a year. I mentioned it to my mom, and she said that I should go get it checked out because there is a rare optic nerve disease in the family, which I was kind of like loosely aware of, but I don't know. I, I never really took it too seriously. I knew that right. my you know, I knew I had an uncle that had a, some kind some kind of vision problem, but I didn't really know much about it. Went and got it checked out. It took like several months to get a um, like an actual hard diagnosis. Uh, but at that Bouncing Souls show, I mentioned to uh, I, I saw Pete and Brian standing at the bar after the show and I had uh, introduced myself and um, asked if they had a minute to talk. And I knew that they were both in the Harley Davidson motorcycles at the time. So I kind of wanted to ask him some questions about motorcycles because I, I figured at some point, you know, growing up on the south side of Chicago, like there's always like a cool rock and roll uncle or, you know, neighbor or whatever that has a Harley or uh -huh. there's someone around. And that's like the dude that's listening to Bob Seger and having a good time in his driveway or whatever. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so I always wanted to get a Harley at some point. And uh, I took the opportunity to ask Pete and Brian what they thought and they kind of asked why, like, what was the sense of urgency? And I let him know that I was losing my eyesight or I might be at least, I hadn't been 100% uh, confirmed diagnosed yet. They kind of gave me some tips and, you know, they said, we'll be back later this year. See you again. Good luck with everything, whatever. And then I got the diagnosis. Uh, my parents helped me get a bike. I got a Harley Davidson Sportster. And right after that, the souls announced that they were going to be playing the Sturgis motorcycle rally in South Dakota at like a, <laughs> like a punk rock bike builder stage kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. And, uh, and so I just hit him up on MySpace actually. I think, or no, I emailed Chunkstar records, like info at Chunkstar records. And I was like, Hey, I don't, this is a long shot. I'm not sure if anyone even checks this, but I met Pete and Brian at Reggie's in Chicago and told them I might be going blind. It turns out that I am. And, uh, I did get a bike and I saw you guys are playing Sturgis. So if there's any chance that you're going to be riding your motorcycles out there, I don't feel comfortable doing that ride by myself, but I'd love to tag along. Brian emailed me back like two days later and he's like, damn dude, I remember you started to hear about your eyes, but give me an address and we'll definitely show up and you can, you know, you can uh, catch a ride with us the rest of the way. Oh, that's so cool. What was that like, <laughs> dude? 
Uh, it was amazing. The Boxing Souls actually put out a 30th anniversary book in 2019, and they had and me write that story. Yeah, yeah, you're in that. Yeah. I was so like, that, why does that story sound fucking familiar? Why do I know this story? It's in the book. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So, yes, I am actually legally blind. I have lost my central vision, about 80% of my vision. The nickname Blind Adam came from Brian Keenan. And now you wear it kind of as a, well, if it's not a badge of honor or a scarlet letter, depending on how you look at it, it's your fucking band <laughs> name anyway, right? Yeah, you know, no one really calls me that. Um, there's some fucking lame-ass comedian from uh, Ohio that just started using that name in like some goofy sketch he does. And it's kind of blown up on social media and he's gotten some big. Yeah. And so I talked to him, put it the whole, the, he's not blind. The character is, and the whole joke is that this guy's like a blind dummy. Yeah. And uh, so I talked to him and asked him if he would stop using the character. And he said, no. So I just filed for a trademark and I'll send him a cease and desist eventually, I guess. Fuck. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Hell Yeah. I like when punks get litigious. Yeah, we got to stick up for ourselves, man. I'm 36 years old now, you know. But we're you in know, that 15 age years ago, like, we might not have thought to yeah. do it like that. Yeah, I mean, I told him why it wasn't cool to make fun of blind people, and I'd appreciate if he didn't use my name to do that. And he basically told me to fuck off, so. Well, he's he, got to live in Ohio, so that that's his punishment. He's got to live yes. in Ohio. So you have a new record coming out on AF Records, and... The record is called An Act of Desperation, but you released the title track over a year ago. We, You and I both released what, you know, you can loosely categorize as, you know, anti-Trump anthems kind of leading right up to Election Day. And, yeah. you know, was it the kind of thing where you knew, like, for me, I just ha I had this song and I just had to get it out before Election Day because I felt like after uh, November 4th last year, like the, the song wouldn't have the same punch or impact like was it just driving you mad that you needed to get something out before election day last year and and that was the song that fit the mold to do so yeah kind of the I, I think the record was supposed to come out like late june or early july of last year we hadn't like completely set a release date yet yeah but we were there i was like i said i was in pittsburgh like right at the beginning of march last year and i sat and talked to chris stone and we kind of had a loose idea and we were working with riot fest for riot fest presents to do our release show. And, um, and then that video had been done since like late January. Right. You know, COVID was already kind of a thing that we knew about, but we didn't know what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. And we were sitting on that video for months and we didn't know, you know, the, an idea for a release date kept getting pushed back. And then at a certain point we stopped even talking about it. And the song in particular was important that kind of song is going to be important no matter what's you know what is going on at the moment politically mm -hmm. in the headlines but i mean it was like like with your song too the video i felt like was what made it uh so important to put it out when we did because i don't you know i, I don't think that putting that out in the world is necessarily going to change anything it's almost like a beacon for other people that are feeling the same way yeah to find a little solace and solidarity in it and for me, it didn't make sense to me or the rest of the band for us to sit on that until the record was going to come out because it's like it's a Trump supporter sitting in his house watching Fox News while the world is on fire. And I guess that's kind of still going on. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah, but yeah. I, I liked the, the double entendre, whereas an act of desperation in the, in the song, you kind of use it to describe at least what I recall as a vivid, very specific image of a father and his young daughter 
uh, floating in a river. I th- I think it was at the U.S. Mexico border. Yeah, they were part of. Uh, well, they were trying to cross over, and they they didn't make it, and they drowned. And there was that photo that kind of went viral. Mm-hmm. And so that's an act of desperation. But I also kind of felt the other side of the mirror was that you, as an empathetic person living in a culture of apathy were were desperate to have some sort of active defiance in the face of that and that was the meta aspect of releasing the song and the video of that is that a fair viewpoint is that fair yeah yeah i mean i think that's the first i don't think that was part of the equation for us i don't think that was necessarily like but i think that's a i, I definitely appreciate that analysis of it and i don't disagree well that's why uh, you're on the berman hour podcast i mean that's why you know <laughs> You can pay the big bucks to be on on the Berman Hour. Hey, that's right. <laughs> What's your connection to the guys in Anti Flag and AF Records? Had you known them previously, or did you just roll up in the office and say, "Chris Stowe put out my record"? <laughs> um, it was more, uh, you know, as as we talked about um, being from Chicago. Uh, at the at the uh, outset of this conversation, um, in the year two thousand, it was December um, and. And Anti-Flag was touring with, I think, Big Wig and Flogging Molly at the time. And they were supposed to play at the Metro, but it got moved down the street to the Cubby Bear, which is like a, it's a giant sports bar right across the street from Wrigley Field. But mm-hmm. they're not really like a punk music venue at all. They're not even really a music venue, but they do have like a, a stage, right? I, I can picture it. Yeah. And like, I mean, that's, there's a lot of history of Chicago punk rock that happened there as well. I mean, Naked Reagan used to play there. Right. They used to host punk shows in the 80s, but it was never it, – it's, it's weird. Um, but anyway, the show got moved there because the Smashing Pumpkins were supposed to play uh, the Metro the next night, and it was supposed to be their final show ever, and Billy Corgan wanted to sound check the day before, which, you know, it was supposed to be their last show. So if it had actually been their last show, I would give them a pass on it, but they – kept going after that so <laughs> whatever but they moved the show and uh i missed the train my mom drove me to uh the south side where my dad was working in a warehouse to to get me there this is before any of us had cell phones so my dad drove me the rest of the way to the show and he was just gonna buy a ticket but because they moved it at the door you know he's gonna pay at the door to get in but because they moved it at the last minute the cubby bear was much smaller and the show was sold out and so my dad walked around the corner to grab a bite to eat and a beer and he was going to come back around to pick me up when the show let out. But I don't know, either going early or late or whatever. And he wasn't there when the show was over and I was hanging out outside. And and then I had already like bought a couple T-shirts or whatever. And, you know, all the guys from Antifi would always be hanging out at the merch table and, and often still do. So I guess I said hello to them and shook their hands or whatever. And then I was waiting for my dad and. And Chris had walked past me a few times and noticed that I had been standing outside McCold and asked what I was doing. And he, it was probably something along the lines of like, "Hey, what the fuck are you doing out here?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was like, "Well, I'm waiting for my dad." And he was like, "Well, it's freezing, so if you want to like help us load the trailer or whatever, you can at least go in and out and hang out for a little bit." And then, so I did. And then uh, my dad came walking around the corner and. Um, he had definitely had a beer or two while he was waiting. Yeah. And uh, Chris Head was like, are you sure this is all right? Why don't you take down my phone number and let me know when you get home? And so we stopped at, my dad and I stopped at Taco Bell and hung out for a while, waited until he was good to drive. 
but I did keep the phone number and let, uh, you know, I let those dudes know when I got home and had told me to keep in touch and, you know, they'd see me the next time when they were in Chicago and back then they were, they were in town like two or three times a year. Yeah, sure. Uh, so we just, um, I don't know. I, I probably bothered them to the point where they were like, I guess this guy's our friend now. And <laughs> that was, that was 21 years ago. And, uh, you know, I've like, I've been able to like through different activist organizations I've been a part of, um, you know, speak on stage at their shows or they've always supported, you know, even when AF records wasn't really super active had just like lent us the money to put out a 10 inch for my old band, the night brigade. And, uh, those guys have been a huge support to me since I was wow. yeah. 14 or 15 years old. Probably. I really appreciate their support and friendship throughout the years. Yeah, that's quite an incredible story, man. That's awesome. And that's to the credit for that band being one of the most genuine, sweetest, nicest group of, of fellows. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. they have other friends in different parts of the country and even in Chicago that are, you know, similar. I mean, obviously they love playing music, but, you know, everything those dudes say in their music is actually, you can you can see that they live their lives that way. Yeah, and I think their credo kind of either rubbed off on you or it existed in you from the beginning. But I wanted to ask you about the charity work that you've been doing specifically during COVID-19. You were kind of doing this, this uh, neighborhood pizza idea, but you, you're, you seem to be a community builder, a community organizer, and you were doing so at a time where it was maybe not all that entirely safe to be doing so. And it was freezing cold. So can you tell us a little bit about what you were doing you know, throughout this pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've learned a lot about mutual aid over the last few years. I mean, I had an idea of what it was years ago, I guess, but even in my earlier activist days, mutual aid wasn't really a term that was thrown around as much. And yeah. it wasn't something that I was super aware of until maybe the last four or five years doing things that empower the community as an act of solidarity rather than an act of charity, uh, where, you know, it's not like I'm in a position where I can like give you poor person something and then leave. It's more finding out who else is doing similar work and finding like learning what you can from them and connecting with them uh, and supporting them. And then also figuring out like what, you know, what is it that I can either do or offer or provide or whatever. And when the pandemic started, um, we had worked with a local organization called the night ministry a few times. They, uh -huh. they provide um, different, like a, a, an array of services, medical services, um, you know, like general healthcare and then uh, some housing placement and, and other kind of social services for mostly people that are experiencing homelessness or just people that are in extreme poverty here in Chicago. Um, that's the night ministry. So we did a show actually with anti-flag right before the pandemic where we raised a bunch of money for them. When everything got shut down, uh, we worked with our friends at Mystery Street Studio here in Chicago, and we started this weekly live stream series where we were raising money for, for them at first. And then Brave Space Alliance is like a black, like queer and trans-led organization on the south side of Chicago in Hyde Park. Um, and then like an independent science lab in Virginia called Indie Lab. And that went for about nine weeks. And it got to the point where it was just burning me out because it was like a weekly thing where everyone yeah. had to, yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot of work. 
And, and then like right about the time where we were wanting to take a break from that, the video of George Floyd being murdered by Derek Chauvin and the Minneapolis police went viral. Right. So it was like, okay, like change focus real quick. Let's, let's focus on supporting the black lives matter movement and being there in the street as much as we can. Brave space Alliance, who we raised money for uh, during the quarantine live stream series was very active in that as well. And they were looking for people to help us supply drives uh, just for like, like their food pantries that they have around the city. So whatever, like baby supplies, food. And we have some friends at Costco. Uh, my friend, my buddy, Pete, uh, Pete Townhill works at Costco. And I just said, Hey, we have this big tour van. Um, you know, who wants to send us money on Venmo? We'll fill it up with all the stuff that Brave Space is asking for and take it down there. And then my buddy, Mike Popek that works at Dante's pizza here in Chicago is like kind of a punk rock uh, pizza joint the owners yeah, uh, yeah of course part of canadian rifle it's just kind of like the people's pizza party thing came together just kind of it was like a confluence of horrible things happening at the same time and then a bunch of people in the music scene and the activist community in chicago kind of coming together to you know not just sit on our hands and and watch the news and be afraid of what horrible thing was going to happen next it was like you know, there's so many great mutual aid organizations in Chicago. Dante's was like, hey, how can we help? Do you want some pizza? So we brought pizza to night ministry and some homeless encampments and we got to meet some people and then people kept donating. So that that was July of that was early July of last year of 2020. And we we didn't we're, we're still doing it now. But we have kind of broken it up a little bit and we're doing a monthly thing and my kind of partner in this is uh, another Chicago musician named Jeff Schaller. Mm-hmm. He's got a band called Jeff Schaller on the Long Way Home. And then other people kind of cycle in and out. Yeah, man, it's been going on for over a year now. and That's incredible. Uh, yeah, it's wild. It's really cool what you can do. And uh, it is exhausting in a, in a way. So it's important to try to, we need to, what we need to do now is, is try to like get more people involved so we can kind of spread things out a little more and keep it sustainable, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Kind of shifting gears from something so serious to something that is serious in the eyes of some, but certainly much more lighthearted. But thank you for sending me the record before it's out. I gladly ordered it, so I I look forward to getting that thing on my turntable when it arrives. But the song that stuck out to me the most was There Was a Ball Game. And I'm kind of. That that makes sense based on. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and. uh, I appreciate that. uh, Yeah, I mean, the record's fantastic. But that that song stuck out to me because it was, you know, it's like the phrase, like, tell me you're from Chicago without telling me you're from Chicago. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I'm kind of curious your opinion for you to weigh in on the significance of the Chicago Cubs, the significance of their World Series win in 2016 and kind of how it melds into the cultural fabric of the city. Well, my grandma was a huge Cubs fan and the song is almost kind of like supposed to be a, like a letter to my dead grandmother. Yeah. Um, She's from the South side. Uh, She was a huge Cubs fan. She made me a Cubs fan and she died in 1996. So she died 20 years before the Cubs won the world series. Um, The life of a Cubs fan had been very disappointing (laughs) and, uh, and heartbreaking. If you're, if you're really that into it, and I had been for sure. You know, 2008 was a year that the Cubs were the best team. That's the only, that's 
the only uh, reference to me losing my vision I have ever written in a song. Uh, in 2008, the Cubs were the best team in the major leagues all season long. I think they might have ended up being the second best team in the majors, but they were the best team in the National League uh, by far. And they got into the playoffs, of course, and they were swept immediately. They lost the first three games they played and were knocked out. And that was while I was like, at that point, it was like early October. I had, I was like a pretty close to start to the point where I was not driving anymore. I right. had maybe like a month left where I was still driving a car so that there's just a little line that says and away came my life change. And they just let us down again in 2016. It was, it was great. They were, it was a fun season. I was at the ballpark quite a bit and um, the feeling of watching them win the world series and like game seven and extra innings was probably the best thing that I've ever, it was, the, it was definitely the best thing I've ever experienced as a sports fan by far. Yeah. Um, one of the best things I've ever experienced as a person, I'd say even uh, the way the city was every single day for exactly six days was, it was like electric. Uh, everyone was super happy and a good mood. Even White Sox fans were friendly. Um, <laughs> and then, where, where were you when they won? Where were you at game seven? I was at the Logan Theater in Logan Square. They were showing this. Uh, they were showing the games on the big screen, which was great oh, wow. because all my friends wanted to go watch games at bars because I can't see very well. Um, I I either want to watch them at home, where I could sit close to the TV, or the Logan Theater would show the games on the big screen. So yeah, and they also have a bar in there, so that worked out real well. Oh, that's awesome. Um, That'd be a good place. Yeah. Yeah, and I think yeah. I think the way that song fits into the theme of the rest of the record for me is that that the joy lasted six days. The Cubs won the world series on a Wednesday night. And then the following Tuesday was the election. And then by Wednesday morning, we knew that Donald Trump had been elected president and the joy that you could feel all over Chicago was gone immediately. And uh, so I feel like in the context of the rest of the record, I don't know if that song I don't know that that record needs a baseball song necessarily, but I feel like the reason we made it sound so crazy and like atmospheric and mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's one of the more uh, ambitious songs we've ever recorded for sure. It's probably the most ambitious song like sonically we've ever recorded. And, you know, I, I feel like it's a, uh, we were, we were definitely smoking a lot of weed with Chris Ed and uh, <laughs> watching Sergio Simpson's sound and fury quite a bit at the time. But I think it's just like, that happened and it was a beautiful experience. And then right after that, it was like checking the reality. Here comes like a fascist nightmare. Yeah. And, and the, and the family, the, the, the best part about it is the family that owns the Cubs and the uh, Trump fundraising chair is Todd Ricketts. The Ricketts family are a horrible right-wing family. They bought, uh, they bought out like the entire area around Wrigley Field and they partnered with Sinclair Media to launch their own broadcast network and Sinclair Media is like a yeah, propaganda. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's my that's my rim on that song. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. I, I think about that period of time often. I have to admit, I haven't thought about it as much in the last uh, 10 months since uh, since Biden won. It's a little bit of a reprieve. A little yeah. bit of a step in the right direction, but yeah, I was, I went to Fest and played Fest, and then in I sixteen, got, in sixteen, and I got sick. 
Yeah. And then I flew, like everybody does. Like everybody does. But that was the first year I I really felt really bad. But yeah. you know you know when every everybody tours to and from fest, so just the funneling in and out of Gainesville is just such a clusterfuck. Yeah. I, I had this brilliant idea that I was going to do a week long tour in the Pacific Northwest after fest. So. I flew from Gainesville to Miami, which was like 35 minutes, and then Miami to Seattle, which was six and a half hours. Sick, right? And then I got to a friend's apartment in uh, in Ballard and kind of crashed out for a day. And then the first show I had to play was in fucking Bremerton, which I would never recommend to anybody. And I I I didn't I couldn't get service because like it's a weird town, like with the whatever, and it's a Navy town. I know. So I was listening to the game on the radio. And I had to keep getting out of the car because it was making me like so nervous, like so fucking nervous. And so I like the fact that you like you name drop Brian, like, you know, ground, like fielding the ground ball you know, like in the song. Yeah, I think that's just fucking I don't know, because that was the moment. You know what I mean? Like it, the simplicity of fielding a ground ball. I mean, he did it with a smile on his face, which made it that much more beautiful. But that yeah. that really really basic baseball moment almost like it, it kind of was like the perfect countdown to euphoria like i've never experienced anything else like that in sports it's always like instantaneous but right i thought you guys really really hit a you know no pun intended or pun intended a home run with that song <laughs> well thank you yeah that we i have some some cool kind of weird ideas for a video for that song so we might put something cool out uh here in the next month with it but uh i appreciate it that was a fun song and um the radio clip uh the little radio clip leading into it uh is pretty cool too um chris too just found that it, it just it turned out to be perfect it's like an old i think it's like an all-star game at wrigley field or something well i look forward to the world knowing this record and it was great to catch up with you man i hope that we get to see each other soon at some point absolutely yeah i mean we're I was starting to book shows and I was going to actually hit you up about maybe trying to do something together, but I just stopped uh, because of what's going on with Delta and yeah, we're supposed to play fest. We haven't dropped off yet, but a lot of bands are and we'll see what happens. I mean, we got a few coming up here in Chicago and uh, around the Midwest that we'll, you know, we'll, we'll try to hold on to if it looks like it's not a good idea to play them. We'll probably cancel, but yeah, um, hopefully. Yeah. I, we'll, we'll talk soon and, Hopefully we can figure out something and play a few shows together next year. And there you have it, my conversation with my good friend Adam. Again, be sure to check out Blind Adam and the Federal League's new record out on AF Records. It's out now. It's called An Act of Desperation. Thanks again to our sponsors, New Wave Flow State Coffee. Go to newwave.co slash Berman and get 10% off your order. And... We'll be back next week. Let's get it. Thanks for tuning into the Berman Hour podcast. On behalf of your host, Jeff Berman, I bid you adieu.